Dean's going to come and read that to us. Now we're looking at uh, Psalm 139. Morning, everyone. Okay, Psalm 139. You have to apologise, I've got a bit of a flu at the moment, so I'll be as clear as I can. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word was on my tongue, you knew it you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days adorned for me are written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Uh, it's a great psalm, isn't it? Uh, we could spend time just contemplating that, but we're just going to touch in and out at different times today. And it really sets the theme uh, for what we're thinking about today because uh, we're going to be thinking about the topic of euthanasia. Uh, so as you're thinking through this topic, think back upon that psalm. There's lots in it that help us think through the issue uh, because it is a tough issue, isn't it? It's a tough topic because it's a very emotional topic. It's a very personal topic. And if any of us have had anyone who is close to us who has died a really hard and painful death, it's very emotional to us, isn't it? It's one of those topics that, again, we need to remember that first and foremost, it's about people and not politics. Uh, we don't want to get into the situation where we're like this, are we? Where we're holding banners and yelling at each other across the road because that isn't personal and isn't pastoral, is it? We need to remember, don't we, like we did last week, uh, this great quote uh, from the Psalms again. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Uh, in all these tough topics, that's a great verse to have sitting in our back of our head, isn't it? Our Lord is gracious and compassionate, 
slow to anger and abounding in love. And that is to be us. Loving, gracious and compassionate in how we deal with some of these tough topics, with all of these tough topics. Because if you remember last week, we need to remember, don't we, uh, that none of us are perfect, all of us are broken, and none of us are to throw stones. But all of us are to be loving, gracious and compassionate. And euthanasia is a pretty important one of those to have that attitude, isn't it? It's a tough topic uh, and it's one that uh, is very emotive and very personal. So as we come to think this through and to work it through this morning, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask for your wisdom, we ask for your graciousness, your compassion and your love through your spirit, Lord, to dwell within us and to be part of us, Lord, as we take time this morning to think through this really pertinent and very real topic for all of us and issue for all of us, Lord, and particularly in Australia today, Lord. We seek you, Lord, and your wisdom within this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Euthanasia. Uh, it is at the forefront at the moment in our society, isn't it? Uh, if same-sex marriage, as we looked at last week, and marriage in general is what uh, seems to be on the papers, euthanasia is not far behind it. Uh, because in Australia, since 1996, when the Northern Territory decided to legalise uh, euthanasia, or at that point not to prosecute anyone who uh, took part in it, uh, it became headline news for Australia. In 1997, the Australian government, a national government, stepped in and said, no, states don't have the right to make that decision, and they stepped in and they stopped it. But within that time period, a number of people took advantage of the rules in uh, Northern Territory and went up there and were euthanised. Uh, at the moment, in South Australia, there is a legislation, there's a bill before their state government uh, to legalise euthanasia. And I think that there are bills being put together at the moment to, become, to come before our Australian government. And if you're not seeing it there, then I bet you you're seeing it on Facebook, if you're on Facebook. It's quite amazing uh, that uh, as I look through my Facebook, as I see uh, the very few people that are on it, but some of the people that are on it, uh, particularly my family, are posting about this particular issue. So it's a real issue, isn't it? It's something that's out there. Not only is it as a topic, as an issue out here, and as a government and a, a nation uh, and laws, but it's a real topic here too because it's personal, isn't it? Because it impacts people that we love and it impacts people who are in suffering and pain specifically. So as we head into this, uh, we're going to give you a definition, uh, and this definition is a fairly simple definition, <coughs> and the reason it's a simple definition is because it can get very complicated if you start looking into the, into the issue. Uh, so our definition for euthanasia is, it's a deliberate taking of a person or patient's life by a medical practitioner. Now the reason that I've gone for that is because as I've read different uh, 
definitions out there. This is the best definition that I've come up with. Uh, I haven't come up with, someone else came up with. Uh, because in that sense we don't have to deal with the passive euthanasia or voluntary or involuntary. Uh, it narrows it down to a specific area and we can look at it today in that contained sense. It is the deliberate taking of a person, patient's life by a medical practitioner. So it's not that sense of removing care and allowing someone uh, to move towards death. It's not that. It's not uh, that idea that we are, some people use. I'll use the term passive euthanasia there, but I think that's confusing. Uh, what that's really doing is allowing a person to continue on and towards death, which we're all heading towards. Uh, what euthanasia is, is a deliberate intervention and killing of someone else by a medical practitioner. Now, I know that's harsh terminology, but unless we have the terminology right, we're going to get confused. So that's what I'm going to be thinking about today. That's what I want us to be thinking about today, is how does that work and what does that look like uh, and how do we respond to that? You'll see on the back of your service sheet there's uh, a couple of headings for you. I'll try and hopefully work through those headings and they'll help you as a guide. And at the bottom you see again I've uh, added some resources for you to go away and have a think about it for yourselves. Uh, and the big thing I suppose that I need to, and I think you could probably realise, is that uh, as we've thought about this topic, it's not a new one. Uh, it's been around for centuries. It's been around for a long time. People have talked about it. Uh, in many different cultures, in many different ways, over thousands of years, the whole idea of euthanasia. Uh, but up until just recently, it has been squashed immediately. But I reckon in the last 30 years, those of you who are old enough to have been around for the last 30 years, I reckon that all of you would have noticed that there has been a movement, hasn't there? There has been a dramatic shift in our society's understanding and thoughts about euthanasia. And again, if you look at Facebook, you'll see that so clearly. And even in the arguments that you'll see uh, in the papers, there's been a dramatic shift from the point many, many years ago that the worldview was that killing of someone else or taking someone else's life deliberately uh, was wrong. And particularly from the medical side of things. Uh, the worldview that probably most of us uh, grew up on and knew was thou shalt not kill. Uh, one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, and that's the Christian worldview, isn't it? It's been that thou shalt not kill. Now obviously there's been uh, war that's part of a situation where that sits outside of that. But when it comes to just everyday life, living in a community, then you don't take someone else's life. That we don't kill. And part of that is because we've grown up and we have a worldview that says that every life is worthy. That has been the worldview. Because that has generally been the Christian worldview, hasn't it? We've grown up understanding that we don't kill and that every life is worthy. And the Bible affirms that, doesn't it? The Bible, Psalm 139, that we just read through, wasn't it? God has created every life and every life is worthy. That doesn't matter what that life looks like in regards to whether you're healthy or unhealthy, whether you're smart or not, whether you're blonde and blue-eyed or not, whether you're whatever, every life is worthy. And if you want to have a look that up, you can have a look at a whole lot of verses if you like. And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time going through that, but this needs to undergird 
probably where the world has been and where we believe as followers of Jesus, a worldview from a Christian worldview is that every life is a worthy life. Genesis 1, 26-31, God created man and woman in his image. Every life that is created, no matter how we see it, is created, human life is created in the image of God. That's really important. No animals are created in the image of God. Only humans are created in the image of God. Now that's a very important point too, if you want to read the debate, because the debate is moving from that being the case that we are all animals. Have you noticed that? We're just all animals. We're part of the animal kingdom. Humans are part of the animal kingdom. Therefore, every animal is equal and every animal has the right, and that's an interesting debate, isn't it? If you think about the whole shark debate at the moment, it undergirds that debate. But we're not talking about that. We're going to spend many, many hours working on that one. And people have different views. But that is the idea, isn't it? But the, the Christian worldview, the worldview that God sets for us, is that humans are distinct. They're distinct because they can have a relationship with God. That's what Genesis 1 to 3 tells us, doesn't it? They were created to be in relationship with God. Animals weren't created specifically to be in relationship with God like that. They were created to be part of this good world, humans to oversee them, but it was man and God who walked together, who were in relationship together. And then if you look at Exodus 20, verse 13, that is, thou shalt not kill. You look at Job 1, 21, for God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, that God is the one who decides when and where our time is and when our time finishes. And then Psalm 139, we just read a beautiful psalm about how God has created. God knows. God's got it worked out. We are his special worthy creations of which he decides our times and places. And then Matthew 6, verses 25 to 27. Uh, it talks about how God's created all the animals on the earth and he provides for all of them. But how much more important are you, humans? That has generally been the worldview. But it has changed, hasn't it? And it is changing. And it's changing how we think about euthanasia because of that changing worldview. Uh, that view that you could put up there is probably clarified by the term sanctity of life. That is, all life is worthy and no one else has the right to decide whether anyone else's life can be taken outside of the laws in the sense of uh, war and even capital punishment in the Old Testament, but not so much in the New Testament. But sanctity of life, your life and my life are equal. That's what it means. And that's been the thought. That's been the way the world's viewed uh, in the past, but it has changed. And it's moved from a sanctity of life idea to a quality of life <laughs> idea. Uh, but what I think was interesting, isn't it? Because as we go through this, uh, when we look at what sanctity of life means, that God actually speaks into that, doesn't he? And he speaks into that about pain and suffering. Uh, that when we start looking at the other side of the view, pain and suffering is something that we are to dismiss and is terrible and is horrible. But when we look at the Bible, God actually says pain and suffering can actually have meaning within it. And we can actually find joy even in that. Uh, this is a quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, 
speaks in our consciousness but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone, megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, pain and suffering tells us that the world is broken, tells us that the world needs fixing, tells us that we need a saviour. So when we look at the other side of it, the whole idea is that it's not sanctity of life anymore. What is most important now is quality of life. It's how well we live our life now is what determines whether it is worth living or not. Now that is a huge shift. It is a huge shift. And I'm going to speak a little bit later why I think it's a dangerous shift. But what they're saying is, uh, basically, these two signs, uh, life shouldn't be about suffering, and my life, my body, and my choice almost set the two agendas of the quality of life argument. One is that suffering is not to be suffered. Suffering and pain is insufferable. And the compassionate thing is to get, is to remove people from pain. Horse gets a lame leg, what do we do? Put it down. Dog gets something wrong with it, put it down. Human gets something wrong with them, put them down. Suffering is insufferable. And you'll have heard that argument, wouldn't you? If you've been at a barbecue, and they may not say quite as crass as that, but you'll say, well, Aunt Ethel, she's been so sick, hasn't she? And it's terrible, and her quality of life is shocking. And you feel that, don't you? And you say, well, we wouldn't do that to an animal, would we? And you can feel the pain in that. And we feel that, don't we? We feel the suffering. And I was talking to Dean and Gordo just a little bit earlier, and they work in hospitals, and they've seen people near the end of their lives, and that pain and suffering, it sometimes can be unbearable. And, you... and the second part of the argument that people use is my life, my body, my choice. It's autonomy. That we're autonomous beings... And we make the choices about what we do and it's up to me and I don't care what anyone else says. It's my choice, my life, my body. That's the same argument for abortion. Works down that same frame. Now both those arguments, you, you can feel that, don't you? And the Bible does speak, in a sense, about autonomy. We actually do make choices and, those, and we are responsible for those choices and there are consequences for those choices. And so, in a sense, we do have a certain amount of autonomy, but our autonomy is underneath a God who knows better than us. We live under a God who has worked out and made this world and knows what is good and right and is true. And our autonomy works best when we live under that, not on top of that. Whereas the quality of life and the whole movement of suffering is insufferable and my body, my choice, says that I put myself above God and my choices and my decisions overrule anyone else's God or anyone else's private, secular, religious book. So I can live this way. It's quality of life against sanctity of life. And as you read, if you want to read articles, uh, read it understanding that and you'll start to see that. You'll start to see those two things, autonomous decision and that suffering is insufferable and that we need to kill suffering, and the way out of suffering is to kill somebody. That is the way to remove them from their suffering. They're the arguments that you'll see that undergird the whole pro-euthanasia debate and movement. 
And it's good to keep that in mind because it undergirds a whole lot of arguments that sit in our society at the moment as well. And we can feel it, can't we? We feel that sense. Uh, we, can, we understand and we can... It feels like you know, it can rip our hearts apart when we see people who are in pain. But there's some really big dangers. Individually, we can see there's moments when you think, oh, it'd be so much better if they weren't suffering at this moment in time. But when you look at the big picture, what that means for society, there's some huge dangers. And let me just outline a few of them for you. And I think the biggest danger of all of this, isn't there, is that who has the right to decide who dies? Who has the right to decide who dies? And and that's a big one, isn't it? Because I don't want that hanging on my head, ever. Do you know the biggest group or one of the biggest groups outside of Christians who are uh, working against the pro-euthanasia movement are those of the disability, the people in our society who have disabilities and the organisations that are advocating for them. Why? Because they know that they're in the firing line. So on the individual, when someone's particularly suffering, you can feel that. But then why is their life... What about someone who doesn't particularly live exactly the way that we live? What about someone who has a particular disability? What about someone who struggles in another... At what point in time do we decide that their disability is to the point where their quality of life is not as good as it could be or should be and therefore... It's very scary, isn't it? And they know it. And they're very scared about it. And they're advocating against euthanasia. Uh, and that becomes part of what we would call the slippery, slippery slope argument. Uh, and people try to diss the slippery slope argument, try to write it off. But I'm afraid history tells us you can't write it off. Uh, If you read the Human Rights, I read the Human Rights, the Australian Human Rights uh, Commission have done a paper on this and their argument, their one line that they put in that to go against the slippery slope argument is we need tighter rules and regulations to make sure that that does not happen. I don't know about you, but of all the times in history where you see people have tried to tighten it down and make it that way... It hasn't worked, has it? You see, this works from the fact that we think that if humans are, are basically good, then they won't do that to each other. I'm sorry, but humans aren't basically good guys and girls. I'm sorry about that. The Bible tells us clearly we are sinful, broken people. And history tells us that, doesn't it? You have a look at through history and you see where one society has decided that another part of society is not worthy to live and what do we end up with? Genocide. 
and our history keeps telling us that. But yet we keep thinking, no, humans are getting better. We're not getting any better. We're just finding different ways to work around it. It's a very dangerous slope to be on, isn't it? And if you look at the examples, we've only got a couple of examples in the world that we can actually go to and say, well, does that work? Well, the Netherlands is one of them. And there's a bit of debate, depending on who you read, on how they read what's happening in the Netherlands. And Belgium is one of them. And Canada has only just recently brought in a law that provides for certain aspects of euthanasia. If you go to the Netherlands, uh, back uh, 30-odd years ago, they just moved to not prosecute anyone who, committed, uh, who aided in that, to now that it's actually legal, uh, to now that when the laws that started were very, very tight, to now the laws are getting a little bit looser, to the point that people who are suffering in different ways to what they intended in the beginning can now be allowed to have euthanasia. To in Belgium now, you can be a child and request to have be euthanized. I'm sorry, I don't trust human beings. I'm sorry. I think history tells us not to trust human beings. And that's why I think there's a great danger. As soon as we start to legalise euthanasia, then there's a great danger that people in our society people on the fringe, people who may be suffering in certain areas, people who are put out on the edges, that that could head in that direction. I'm not saying it will, but there's a danger that that could be the case. And the other, there's two others I just want to highlight for you that I think there's a danger. The other one is for doctors. You see, the doctors used to sign the Hippocratic Oath is that they are to save life and not take life. This does a huge shift in that to the point now that they can actually make decisions to take life. That's another huge shift that we're putting trust in our doctors. Again, they say, well, you're going to get two or you need to get three or whatever. We can tighten rules and so forth. But that changes the whole mindset of what the whole medical profession is supposed to be. To save and preserve and allow life to now being saying, no, you can take life as well. And the last one I want to say to you is one that we don't know the outcome on it. But when we as a society, again, decide that there is a certain part of our society that is not worthy to live anymore... We, have never, we haven't lived in a society like that before. What's that going to do to our society? How's that going to shift our thinking? How's that going to shift how we understand things? How's that going to shift how we deal with people who may not be living the life that we're living to the quality that we're living? So can I say to you, we need to be very prayerful about this, don't we? There are a number of dangers in this. And for you and I, we need to remember too that death is not ultimately the alleviating of suffering. The Bible says it's appointed for men to die once, but after this to face judgment. Death for everyone isn't peace. 
It's a tough call, but it's what the Bible tells us. I saw this great little quote, don't be caught dead without Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we need to keep that in mind too. For the world out there, that doesn't have any place for them. I don't understand that, but for you and I, we do. And while people are here and still alive, there's still an opportunity for them to know Jesus and not to be found dead without him, which is the true tragedy and the real tragedy in all of this. So how about you and I, guys? What can we do? Well, I think we need to show love and care, don't we? Under the king. Uh, the king is the ultimate, Jesus is the ultimate, the God who created everything. Uh, we need to be people who show love and care to all people. We of all people are be the ones that are to be going to the people on the fringe, the people who are suffering, the people who are in pain, the people who are struggling, the people who are going through it tough. We are to be the ones who are out there showing love and care to them so that the idea of just taking a life or euthanasia doesn't have to be part of their thinking because they're so loved and cared for because we're part of that. And that's been what Christians have done throughout the centuries. If you read history and you read Christian history, you'll see that in times throughout history when the rest of the world has decided someone else is not worthy to live, the lepers, the children born outside of marriage, people who don't deserve education, people who don't deserve medicine, who have been the ones that have run in and stepped in? It's the followers of Jesus. They've been the ones that have gone in and said, we will love and care for you. If the world despises you, we don't. The Christians are the ones that have shown that. And we need to continue with that, don't we? We need to be the ones that are out there showing that love and care to the people who the rest of the world says, you're not worthy. Because we believe all people are worthy. Every life is worthy. And every life is precious to God. And every person needs to know that they are worthy. And we need to be on the forefront of showing that, guys. Palliative care, we need to be encouraging that, don't we? We need to be supporting that. And I know that they tell me that palliative care, they say, from my reading of it and my working with some people who are in the palliative care uh, system, say that between 90 and 95% of people palliative care will alleviate pain. That good palliative care, good support, good love, good care, for 90 to 95% of our population, it will cover. For 5%, maybe it won't. And we've got to feel for those 5%, don't we? Because that would be excruciating for them. But we need to be part of that and supporting that and encouraging that and helping out where we can within that. I like that little statement up there, living as well as possible for as long as possible. I think that's a lovely little statement, isn't it? It's not mine, I just found that on the net. But ultimately I think we need to come back to that point, don't we? That every life is worthy. So let's think about how we can do that. I know a number of people here over the past, I know some people now volunteer in our nursing homes. And they go up and they show love and care to those that really are struggling. They've been put into the homes, good places often for people to be, but can be very lonely places for people to be. 
Some of the stats show that the highest percentage of people who take euthanasia as an option are those that are lonely, not those that are in pain physically. It's one of the biggest percentages of people who actually take it. Uh, and we can be helping in that, can't we? If we've got the time, if we've got the resources, go and visit those people that are in hospital and spend time with them. You know, being able to give them love, being able to share love with them, being able to show them love, and they will show love back to you too. Uh, they may not be able to show it the way you expect it. Uh, it'll be in little things, it'll be in a slight smile, it might be a squeeze of the hand, it might be just a tear in the eye, but they will show that as well. We can be part of that, can't we? And I think on the bigger scale of things, we need to be thinking about in general in our community, those people who are on the fringe, those people who are lonely, those people who have been shunted by society or rejected by families. How can we, we be on the forefront of that? I know there's people here who foster. I know there's people who have fostered and adopted and brought people into their homes, into their families, and that is just beautiful, isn't it? Have a think about where you're at and how we can be on the forefront of showing that every life is worthy. Because in that we show that Jesus is the true life-transforming life-giver. You see, we need to be careful that we don't worship life too, don't we? We're not here just to prolong life. We're here to bring eternal life. But in our love and our care for others is that we bring Jesus to people. Because Jesus is the ultimate one who alleviates pain and suffering forever. Who takes away our loneliness for eternity. So we're not here to say that life, it's not all just about here, is it? Because that's what the world tells us. It's all about here, isn't it? That's why suffering is insufferable because if this is all that there is then suffering does become insufferable, doesn't it? it comes, you've got to get as much as you can out of just this because this is all it is. But in Jesus, we know that there's even bigger, there's more than that. What we have here is a small aspect of the great eternity and perfection that we're going to have in Jesus. That is wonderful hope, isn't it? We can bring that to people. Don't just get caught up on the here and now. There's so much more to it than that. So much better than that. Our Saviour Jesus. It's a tough area, isn't it? And, and it's, in one sense, it's easy to talk to all of you here. I know that some of you aren't in perfect health. Some of you are in pain and suffering. But I don't know any of you at the moment who maybe are be thinking of going down this path. But we probably have known people and we will come across people and we will see people who we can feel their pain and suffering. We can experience and see their loneliness and their distress and their anxiety and their depression. And we can empathise with that, can't we? And we can hold out our arms and welcome them in with love and care and the message of our Saviour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, as we read Psalm 139 and Lord, we saw and we heard that you are the one that has knit us together, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that our lives and our time 
as in your hands. That your wisdom is far beyond anything that we can imagine. And that your love demonstrated so clearly to us in Jesus is so beyond imagination, wider and greater than anything that we could possibly imagine. Father, may we be affirmed in knowing that and in knowing that know that we, in your eyes, are worthy because of you and that everyone in this world is worthy and worthwhile. But we pray that we never lose that understanding and we pray that our world never loses that understanding. And even in our empathy and even in the pain and even in the brokenness of this world and in particular people's lives, Father, may we never deem them unworthy. Lord, enable us by your spirit to be people who show love and care to everyone who's on the fringe and to bring anyone who is on the fringe into the fold of your loving care, Lord, and your loving family. May we be your agents in that, Lord. We pray this, that you'll enable us, Lord, by your spirit to be this type of person. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.